Greetings fellow Empyreans, I am Ashtarothy, and this is my point-by-point -point breakdown of the patch notes for Invasion 1.0, the newest expansion for EVE Online, coming May 28th, 2019. First of all, at the top of it all, we have the almost marquee feature in a strange way. The 64-bit client will be entering into beta mode. What does this really mean? This means that you get to use the 64-bit client from now on. The fact that it's beta, at this point, effectively, that just means that they're not totally transitioning over yet. Because remember, when 64-bit client is deemed to be stable and released, the 32-bit client will be removed. So this is more or less just saying that the 64-bit client should be ready, but now it needs to be battle-tested before they finally take away the 32-bit client. If you want to think about it a different way, you remember the chat clients? They couldn't do them both in tandem, so when we swapped, they just had to eat any problems that came from that. They don't know if any unforeseen problems are going to come from the 64-bit client. There probably won't be, but there could be. And if there is, it's good to be able to fall back to the 32-bit system. Once the 64-bit system proves itself, then they will mark it as stable and move over or deprecate and remove the 32-bit client. So what that means is, is that if you're interested in the 64-bit client, especially if you have more than 8 gigs of RAM in your computer, and especially if you end up going into large fleet fights or uh, things of that nature, things that would consume a large chunk of RAM in which being able to allocate extra memory to the problem is valuable. That's the thing that actually a lot of people are paying attention to, and it's probably going to be like the biggest long-term change that's coming on Tuesday. But let's talk about kind of the more finer details, uh, not the technical ones. So first and foremost, we got some balance changes. The Damovic is losing its optimal range bonus, but it is getting a 4% armor resist bonus. It's got, uh, it's also having its power grid increased by 55. So it's gaining a little bit, uh, sorry, 255 from 52. So it's gaining three power grid. So it's getting just a little bit of fitting uh, and it's getting this pretty big change. So optimal range is somewhat of a big deal for these disintegrator, the uh, Triglavian ships, because there is no fall off for the disintegrator. If your opponent gets out of your optimal range, it shuts off and you have to start your ramp up all over again. And therefore, these bonuses to optimal range are very key to a lot of these ships being able to maintain that. At first, it seems odd that this was put on here because the, the Damovic actually, from my understanding, isn't seeing an amazing amount of use and partially because of the fact that it's got a lackluster ramp up um, in a what in a frigate situation which often is very quick um, but I think that that's the reason why they put on these resistances to make it a lot more tanky kind of making them like little nasty punishers um, but also if you think about it the Kikamura ha uh, as a destroyer has a double range bonus and that double range bonus doesn't actually end up being as good if the Damovic has its own range bonus too. So to keep the two ships separate, um, that, that could be another reason why they decided to take the optimal range bonus off the Damovic. Um, optimal range doesn't matter. The bonus doesn't matter if every ship that has it or that uses that weapon has the bonus, right? 
So moving on, the Kikimura, speaking of which, uh, actually got nerfed quite a bit. It lost its drones completely. It's not a drone ship anymore uh, at all. It wasn't really a drone ship before. It doesn't have its auxiliary drones. Um, and it also lost three to its power grid. So it's almost as if the Damavik stole three power grid from the Kikimura. Uh, the Kikimura has definitely been a pretty scary beast. Um, I've seen a lot of complaining about it. Uh, I've seen a lot of people having fun with it. Um, and one of its biggest, uh, one of the biggest things about it is that it does have a pretty good range uh, with its bonuses. And it's really fast and it's hard to hit. Um, and it just eats people up eventually. So what you're having here is removal of the drones, probably to make it so that whole kiting process is you don't have that locked on target so you can't get away or whatnot. As in, like the drones stay with them regardless of where you're going, if that makes sense. But also you see that reduced power grid to make it so that they just lost a little bit more fitting to make some of these fits a little bit harder to do. Moving on, there's also the other big balance change, which is finally Tech 2 ammunition can now be loaded in all factions, storyline, and officer weapon variations, which is great because now officer weapons are now finally kind of good. <laughs> Tech 2 ammo generally does more damage, but also does some sort of detriment to the, to the weapon system, usually something like damage for tracking, right? So you get more damage, but you have less tracking. But more importantly, it only ends up being in Tech 2 guns. And this has actually been really oppressive, especially among the Amar. If you've ever heard the sentiment that, you know, you need Tech 2 guns in order to be good, especially with the Amar, this is why. It's all about Scorch, baby. Because of that, there's always been, it's always been hard to use these faction storyline and officer weapons because it's like you're sacking the ability to use Tech 2 ammo and the Tech 2 bonus, right? Because you're... Your bonus and your specialization skill only affects your Tech 2 module, not these other factions. So they've always struggled to be anywhere close to competitive. So the fact that now Tech 2 ammunition can be loaded in things that are quote-unquote better than Tech 2, uh, great change, should have happened years ago. Also, reduced tracking speed multiplier from Mystic Ammo to 5 from 7.5. Um, and... Off the top of my head, I can't even tell you if that's a, a buff or a nerf. My guess is it's actually going to make it harder to track, but we'll see. Because, uh, yeah, that's the Tech 2 Triglavian Disintegrator ammo. And I use a Faction Disintegrator, so I'm not going to be able to use that until uh, next Tuesday. Anywho, moving on. Uh, one, of the more, one of the other big changes, electronic warfare drones are being reduced from 20 seconds to 5 seconds per uh, for jam effectiveness, but not for jam cycle, which means uh, now at most you can only be jammed for five out of twenty seconds out um, in uh, out with any given ECM drone. So now you know, like it used to be that you jam, it rolls positive. That means the jam lasts for twenty seconds and the cycle lasts for twenty seconds. So then in twenty seconds it rolls again and sees whether or not you can keep going. Now it'll roll, hit a positive, go five seconds. Now the jam actually falls off. And then from that point on, for the next 15 seconds, the drone is still cycling. And so it won't try to jam again until the end of that 15 seconds. Um, now, why are they doing this? For a couple of reasons. 
Uh, one, what this does is it allows people who use dr these ECM drones in order to escape, i.e. Um, explorers, VNI ratters, you know, these the PVEers that, that keep these things in as their, like, hat trick. Um, this allows them to still use it in that method, which is good because it keeps that play counterplay back and forth in, in a certain extent. Also, it doesn't have too much of a, an oppressive impact on PvP, right? So right now, a ship that doesn't even that isn't dedicated to drones but does have drones can bring some of these Ewar drones and throw it on there. Um, and basically, it's like I have a five percent chance of winning this fight, right? Because if if any of the drones successfully jam for twenty seconds, twenty seconds is too long of a, of time in a 1v1 fight or, you know, something like that for, you know, that's the end of the fight, basically. So um, this prevents that from being representing that within, like, actual fighting. And then also, I think that a big part of this uh, has to do with the fact that the jam changes have come in. So now jams have been dramatically changed in how effective they are. And in particular, like if you're solo, jams are basically ineffective unless they're jams from a jam drone because the rule is that you can always target the person who jammed you, but the drones are their own person. And therefore, jam drones can still allow you to jam out a person in a way that other jams can't. And that strangely makes the jam drones more powerful than normal jams, which strangely makes the Tristan a better jam boat than the Griffin Navy issue. So, yeah, okay, we're going to we're going to eliminate the power of jam drones to be what jams used to be, um, but still allow those people that use them basically as flack and a prayer to do so. Moving on. Abyssal Dead Space Faction Disintegrator variants will now drop as blueprints was previously dropped as a module. Yeah, this is Ooh, the market on these things have gone crazy all back and forth. Nobody knows how these things are going to go. So basically, the faction disintegrators are pretty darn good and in high demand. But more importantly, they don't need to be invented. They don't need to be anything like that. They just get dropped. And th that's one of the reasons why they're extremely valuable. Because they're just easier than all of the rest. They're come pre-assembled. They're just as good, if not better. Uh, and they don't require the Tech 2 skill book, which is the most expensive skill books that come out of the Abyss. So obviously, these faction disintegrators are going to be popular. But now they're going to be at least a little bit less popular, although they will get the Tech 2 ammo, which is super cool. But now they're not going to drop themselves. They're going to come in a blueprint. Um, and also, it doesn't say it here, but when they explained it to us originally, they said that that blueprint will require a Tech 2 module. So it's, it, it's kind of strange. Most of the other things that get built like that don't require Tech 2, but in this, in this case, they're going for it. So... Uh, or at least that's was my understanding. So we'll see how it exactly plays out. But it's very possible that that's true. That's what most people have been understanding as far as speculations go, which is why the market has just been going bonkers. And we'll see if it settles down anytime soon. Uh, okay, graphics. In improve the decal LOD, which is a uh, level of detail system to make it more efficient and reduce the draw calls in the medium uh, and far zoom levels, thereby increasing performance on the GPU. Real technical, but real quick. So um, one of the ways that games now, uh, one of the tricks that games now do in order to make things 
uh, run good and still look good is that as something is further away, it actually drops down to like a lower resolution version of itself because it doesn't matter anymore, right? Like you don't need the same model with the same detail and the same textures, uh, exact same, when you are right next to the station than when you are, you know, on the Stargate that's that's on the same grid, but only technically, right? Like if it's a blip over there, your your GPU doesn't need to render the entire uh, map. It only needs to render a very small version of it. So that's LOD. Um, and this is saying that it's just more efficient, which basically this is another one of those things like the 64-bit client that's just going to make things uh, better. And it's specifically going to actually make things better for people who are far zoomed out, which is great because those people are generally the f people who are fighting in larger fleets. So those are the people that are actually going to see the largest improvement from uh, this kind of fix. So I'm actually really excited to see what kind of uh, change that will do, not just the 64-bit client. Moving on. Introducing decayed, gravid, and unstable mutaplasmids for the following module groups. Damage controls, assault damage controls, and added unstable mutaplasmids for the following module groups. Medium, large, and extra-large ancillary shield boosters, small, medium, and large ancillary armor reppers. So we are getting two brand new mutaplasmids, and then we're getting the more extreme versions for those other uh, mutaplasmids. The unstable are the ones that have the biggest swings up and down. So, which means that they can provide the best ones, right? So obviously the, the boosters, the reppers, in particular the ancillary reppers, the impact of really, really strong mutaplasmids was something that was concerning, we'll call it. So uh, they didn't, they only brought in the two types of mutaplasmids and now they're bringing in the third because uh, apparently it worked out. And in addition to that, it, it, speaking of making mutaplasmids tank, they're bringing in a, a damage controls and assault damage controls. So we're getting even more tank modules being brought into the mutaplasmid sphere, which I think is good, actually. I think that uh, the mutaplasmid universe is actually doing much better and being much more successful as a feature than a lot of players expected it to and still give it credit for. They're just a really fun way of allowing you to adjust the game and adds a huge amount of depth to all kinds of little nooks and crannies. For example, I didn't want to deal with having to get a really expensive faction web, or rather, I was upset that I couldn't get a faction web that would do what I wanted it to do and reach the distance that I wanted it to reach. And so we rolled a bunch of abyssals until I got uh, the correct roll for web range, which ended up being easier and cheaper than getting the faction. I digress. So missions and NPCs. Okay. Strap in, boys. This is the big one. The Triglavian Collective have begun to exert influence on systems within high-security regions of New Eden. Escalating system-wide effects have been observed, and Triglavian forces are roaming within these systems in various fleet sizes and compositions. Rumors spreading from capsular expeditions into abyssal dead space indicate that these first waves of Triglavian vessels may be the vanguard of a larger invasion force yet to reveal itself. At this point, I want to pause and just remind everybody that if you look on the um, invasion logo, like the splash screen, it says invasion. And underneath it, it says it has some Triglavian script. That Triglavian script says chapter one. That's all I'm going to say about that.
All right, uh, we got new data cores. We've got Triglavian Quantum Engineering data core. Sorry, yeah, only one, no. Is it two? It, ugh, it says two, but it is only one data core. Okay, we got a new data core, Triglavian Quantum Engineering data core, uh, which is basically just the new data core to help you out with Triglavian invention. And then along with that, we also got new components, which is the Radiation Absorption Thruster, Singularity Radiation Converter, Zero Point Field Manipulator, Trinary State Processor, and Lattice Locked... Oh, God. Lattice Locked Dicosogen. Dicosogen. Sure. Lattice Locked Dicosogen. Those are just basically like Tech 2 components, right? So this is just basically bringing the the Triglavian, not just the Triglavian ship line to closer to a normal race, but now they're actually building out the invention process and, uh, you know, all that stuff into line with a normal race. So, yeah. So then we have the Zarmazd Tech 2 production has been rebalanced to be consistent with all Triglavian Tech 2 ship productions. Also worth noting that the Zarmazd actually gets a slight upgrade in appearance. If you look, if you look prior to the expansion, there are uh, no details on the tips of the Zarmaz. Um, but after the expansion, you'll see that the traditional Amarian filigree will has uh, been added to the Zarmaz, and, and that's because the four Triglavian Tech Two ships, one is associated with each of the four races. All right. Tech 1 exotic plasma charge blueprints now produce 5,000 units, increased from 1,000 units. This is a direct result of the fact that ammo in, with the trig are just ridiculously expensive. So, you get more units per run. Faction disintegrators now require Tech 2 dis uh, disintegrator of appropriate size to build material. There you go. Never mind. They did say it. Faction disintegrators now require the skilled Triglavian quantum engineering in their production. There you go. So, there's that. That's where the quantum engineering or the new skill is coming from or is being used. Great. All right. Now let's talk about new ships. The Nurgle. It has a precursor frigate bonus of 5% to light and tropic damage and 4% to all armor resistance. This is exactly the same as the Davimek, which is true for all of these. Sorry. Let me just say that. They, from, I believe... All of their basic bonuses are the same as their Tech 1, and then they have the additional bonuses for their Tech 2 skill. So they have everything that the Nurgle has, the 5% bonus to damage per level and 4% bonus to resistances per level. And then on top of that, they also gain a 20% bonus to Light Entropic Disintegrator Maximum Damage Multiplier bonus and a 7.5 bonus to Entropic Disintegrator Maximum Range. So this is the other reason why the Maximum Range got moved off of the uh, Tech 1, because it ended up being moved over to the Tech 2 bonus. Um, but what's odd about this is that, so, and this is true about the Icky as well, um, which we'll get to in just a second, but that bonus is a maximum damage multiplier bonus, but it doesn't affect how fast it ramps. So that what this means is, is that it in most situations, it won't make any difference at all. If your fight lasts less than two minutes, uh, then you, it's not going to make any difference at all. Um, but if it does, then it will. You, I mean, like, these things can do amazing amounts of damage. And we'll, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more when we get to the icky. Um, 
I digress. Also, that maximum range bonus is going to help because, you know, as we said earlier, it's going to help keep them, that disintegrator on longer so it can ramp to that higher amount as it's darting around. However, on top of that, it also gets the 50% reduction in micro warfare signature radius penalty, the 100% bonus to remote armor repair repair range, 50% reduction in energy neutralizer cap need, 50% reduction in remote ar armor repair cap need, 50% reduction in smart bomb cap need, and can fit, fit assault damage controls. Now, by the way, the four in the middle there, uh, everything besides the microwave, uh, microwave, microwave, Everything besides the micro warp drive signature radius penalty and the assault damage control, those other bonuses are what we're going to refer to as the Triglavian roll bonuses. So we're not going to talk about them with the rest of them. All trig trigs have those. I digress. It has a slot layout of two, three, four, uh, one turret hardpoint, two rig slots, 400 calibration. So it's going to be pretty cool. Moving on. Oh, sorry. It also has. 55 power grade, 150 CPU. It's I'm not I'm actually not going to read all of these because we'll see how it all plays out. It's it's a pretty standard tech to uh, assault damage or assault frigate. Otherwise, so then we have the Ikatursa, which is the uh, Ved hack, and will probably be just called the Ved hack, at least by me. I, I can only make so many Monty Python references before people get tired of me, so I think I'm just going to call it the Ved Hack instead. It gives you uh, the same bonuses as the Ved Mac, which is a 5% bonus to tracking speed and damage, and uh, then it adds on top of that the 20% dam uh, bonus for damage multiplier and 7.5 bonus for maximum range. Now, reminder, these are per level, so that's really a 100% bonus to maximum uh, maximum damage bonus, and whatever 7.5 times 5, I'm not going to think of it off the top of my head, is um, somebody's going <laughs> to laugh at me for that. What is it, like 35? I don't know. Uh, so it's it's more than that is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's times 5. So the thing about this is that it makes the uh, Ikatursa a very interesting position. Right, where it says, "Hey, you you are a cruiser that can do two thousand DPS, but you have to hold the target for three minutes, two to three minutes before you can do that much damage." Uh, good luck. So, what are these things going to be used for? Clearing astrohuses for sure. Uh, these are going to be monsters in um the proving grounds. Um, I honestly think these are going to be too strong in the Proving Grounds. These are going to become Apex Predators. Simply because they, the the ramping bonus nature of it actually is like totally count, uh, the built for the the way that Proving Grounds go. It works. It's a small, tight area, but a lot of people try to kite. The, the additional optimal range allows you to keep them in range and have it ramp the whole time. And then um, you go into overtime and, and the site starts draining everybody's um, uh, everybody's resistances. So while they're still doing the sa same amount of damage, you're now ramped fully up and doing pounding 2K damage into their face with their reduced resistances. And they're like, well, this was fun. That's what I predict. At any rate... Um, and then it also has the micro warp drive signature radius penalty, uh, uh, sorry, reduction in the penalty, 
uh, and the assault damage controls, which is awesome. It has four highs, four mids, and six lows, and one turret hardpoint, so it doesn't have the two disintegrators like we were originally shown, but, I mean, I guess I understand for balance reasons. It does mean that it has five, no, three um, utility high, which is awesome. This is true about most of these ships, but uh, otherwise it is a pretty standard um, hack. Moving on, we have the Draugr. The Draugr uh, is a command destroyer. Now, this thing is my, my prediction is it's going to be a nasty, nasty dude. Uh, I tweeted, um, y'all are going to want the old school spitballs back when these things show up, man. So imagine all of the things that make the Kiki really special and warm your heart and then add a micro jump field generator and skirmish links and information links as it wants. So skirmish links to make it even faster, micro jump field generator to do all kinds of shenanigans. On top of that, it still gets the uh, entropic disintegrator optimal range and damage bonuses. So it's getting 15% uh, to optimal range. So it's nearly, oh, it's not, a, a, I thought it was 20 in the other one. So maybe it is a little bit less, but that would be, what, 75, I think, somewhere in there percent additional optimal range for the light and tropic disintegrators so that's going to let you reach out pretty far uh they're extremely fast and going to be expensive but really really scary to run into let's just put it that way in addition of course they get all of their triglavian bonuses they can use command bursts and they can use micro jump field generators other than that they are a standard or a fairly typical command destroyer Introduce two new skills, Triglavian Encryption Methods and Triglavian Quantum Engineering, which will be required for invention and manufacturing of Tech 2 Triglavian ships. We've basically already touched onto those. Alright, so next big thing is War Declarations. The next stage of the War Declarations revamp has been released, including the introduction of the War Headquarters structures, War Cost Simplification, Improved Mutual Wars and War UI Improvements. More information about these changes can be found in the devlog. Okay, so the War Headquarters. In order to declare an aggressive war, the attacking side must now designate a specified upwell structure that they own somewhere in high security space as the, quote, War Headquarters, end quote, for that war. If the War Headquarters structure is destroyed, removed from space, or removed from the control of the attacking organization for any reason, the war will end at its 24-hour, or sorry, will enter its 24-hour cooldown and then end. If the war ends due to the removal of the war headquarters, the former attacking organizations will be unable to declare new wars against the former defending organization for two weeks. Woo. All right, let's keep going. The identity of the war headquarters structure is included in war notifications to the defender, as well as being visible to all interested parties through the war report window. Wars are, that are active during the invasion and expansion downtime will continue to, without needing a headquarters structure for the transitionary period that is scheduled to end a downtime on Jan July 25th. If a war is active without a war headquarters at the end of that transitional period, it will enter a 24-hour cooldown, and at that point, it will end the next day. Okay, so why are we doing this? So basically, just to put it in layman's terms, in order to declare war, you now will have to designate a single structure of yours within HiSec as your war headquarters, and that 
information will be broadcasted to your opponent. What this means is that it gives the defender a an objective. Now, taking down a structure is famously annoyingly difficult when it comes to upwell. It can take upwards of one to two weeks to take down a structure anyways, uh, depending on how it all plays out. And if you do your war right, you're going to make sure that it plays out in your favor. I've probably said too much, but... Um, it still gives you something that you can do. If if an organization will not stop war decking you, it is no longer your only solution is to just not be a target until they get bored and move on to somebody else. Uh, you, there is a way for people to rally and fight back, which I think is really good. Um, I think that it's really uh, it's good that it's going to be high sec only. That's actually going to have some really interesting implications in the fact that null sec blocks that want to have wars within null sec for whatever reason they they do, they're still going to have to have structures in high sec that will be vulnerable uh, and open to all kinds of shenanigans by their enemies. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what the effect will be on that, but I'm sure that people will someday one day uh, have some fun with that little fact. I also think that solitude is going to be strangely valuable. A high sec section that's not connected to the rest of high sec seems like it would be very valuable for people like pirate who want to war deck a lot of people, but want to make it even more annoying for anybody to try to rally and fight back. Um, I think other people trying to use places like solitude might be difficult, have a difficult time because well, if pirate and them start trying to use it for that exact same reason, Guess who's going to be there to shoot at your structure? <laughs> uh, anywho, let's move on. War cost simplification. The cost of aggressive war bills have been set to a flat rate of 100 million isk per week. Done. Easy. Great. Old system was dumb. In fact, I'm not even going into the details right now. We're just going to move on. It's great. Mutual wars. Mutual wars have been revamped to improve quality of life for participating aggressors. Uh, aggressive wars cannot be converted into mutual wars. Instead, mutual wars may be started through an invite acceptance process. Mutual wars may now be started without any is cost or structure requirements. Either side of the mutual war can now be decided to end the war at will, triggering the standard 24-hour cooldown before the shooting stops. So, great. One of the, actually, the interesting things is, is that it's actually been difficult. One of the difficult things about all of this is that mutual wars is always a consideration when you're trying to fix things about war decks, right? So if you're trying to nerf war decks in a way that makes more sense to protect uh, people that shouldn't be victimized by them nearly as much, often will fly in the face or get in the way of people that want to do mutual wars, i.e. RVB. And RVB is a great poster boy for why mutual wars exist. And so uh, I really like this solution. Not only does it fix the problem, but it fixes the problem long term. It divorces mutual wars from standard wars. And so makes it so those two mechanics don't necessarily have to inter interfere with each other in any way. Good job. Corporations that uh, are allies with the defending side of an ongoing war can no longer join an alliance until the war ends or their ally contract finishes. Unless the alliance they are attempting to join is also the only defender they are allied with. Oh, gosh. Corporations that are allies of the defending side in ongoing war can no longer join an alliance until the war ends by their ally contract finishing unless the alliance they are attempting to join is also the only defender they are allied with. I got it now. Okay. So, I'm in a corp. 
somebody else is being war decked. I'm joining their war to to defend them. Or Yeah, so I'm the ally in a defending side of an ongoing war. I cannot then go join another alliance until that war is over, or at least I'm no longer part of it, unless the alliance that I'm attempting to join is also the only defender that they are allied with. So, in other words, if, I, if I'm allied to the alliance that I am joining, so if me and the alliance that I'm joining, if my corp and the alliance that we're, that we're joining are allied in a war deck, in that one circumstance, I can then join the alliance. Otherwise, uh, you're not allowed to join a new alliance in a corp, or as a corp until an allied war contract is over. Sorry, that probably was way too long for such a small feature, but it took me a bit to figure it out, or work it out, rather. User interface. Added the board my Corvette button. Corvettes will no longer uh, be made automatically, uh, available automatically by docking in a pod. Instead, the player can choose to be placed inside of a Corvette by using this button. If the character does not currently have a Corvette, then they'll be provided one, and then boarded onto it. If the Corvette is already in the ship hangar, the, core, the character will board it, and, will, and the standard modules fitted will be repaired. So, uh, I mean, this is great. Whatever. This is actually really good for a couple of reasons. One, it makes it so that people don't have Corvettes cluttering all over the place just because they happen to dock up somewhere with a pod. Um, it also, by putting a, a, a title on it, by putting a big banner on it, it helps uh, new players understand what it is. And so they're not discovering the fact that they have a backup Corvette by accident after the fact of the devastating loss. Um, it allows them to practice that concept before the devastating loss, which is pretty good. The only thing I have to say about it is I hope that they've gone through the QA of this. Because I'm just wondering, because Corvettes come with one trit in the cargo hold, right? If that's still true, then it'd be interesting if, like, if you... If you assemble a Corvette and throw it in a container, can you then hit the button again and get a new Corvette? And if so, I wonder I wonder how long it'll be until somebody calculates the isk per hour of just processing Corvettes. I know that people talked about it back before when you could just suicide them. Anyway, the styling of the undock, view outside, and take control buttons have been updated. Uh, updated redeem queue notifications that now appear in the Neocom uh, and not in the notification widgets. Hangers are now visible below the station services by default. And then the remodeling of the agency. Uh, new character, or new cleaner and more functional UI. I'm actually not... Yeah, yeah, I'll read it. New cleaner and more functional UI using the progressive disclosure approach that to funnel the user to their desired content. Bookmarking pages is now possible, allowing you to skip the funnel and go straight to the most used pages. Agent Finder is back. Filters will now be more visible and easy to use. Filters will now remember their last settings for each page. Reset all filtered buttons is available. Search for specific planets, types, and planetary production agency page to establish your colony on. And if, you're, if they are within range of your remote sensing skills, see the available resources without opening the PP window of each planet. That is amazing, by the way. That is so good in the agency window. The amount of anomalies and signatures in case-based systems is now visible from anywhere. From one of the best parts of the agency to one of the most, we're going to go with controversial. 
combat anomalies or anomalies and ice belts show the exact type of site within one jump away and two jumps or further only the existence of the site is shown i'm not terribly happy about this i have articulated my thoughts on it multiple times and i don't feel this is the time or the place to continue to articulate it so we're just going to move on and that's a thing storyline missions uh, and escalations will guide the player to the respective pages by displaying the new label uh cool this allows people to find storylines and escalations yay contested level of faction warfare systems and available faction warfare complexes are now visible from anywhere in eve this is another crazy change like people say oh they haven't done anything about faction faction warfare they actually have been doing quite a bit about faction warfare uh i almost feel bad saying that they haven't been doing anything um they've just been very indirect things a lot of the time and just fixes so this is a big one though so what this does is it allows you to see how many plexes are in other systems other than the one you are in. Unlike the signature issue, which is about exploration and all that stuff, this is great um, because those plexes are basically king of the hill sites that uh, are effectively combat sites. So by monitoring what sites are up or down, you can kind of tell where sites are, what sites are being ran uh, and what systems are being attacked. And therefore, you could actually use this to help hunt down where people are running things within Faction Warfare, which is actually a really good thing. This is something that we've asked for for a long time in Faction Warfare. Additionally, what this means is a small team of people can do a lot more damage if uncontested uh, in Fact War. Um, right now, you can contest every plex in a system and then all your extra people... Um, are kind of a waste if you're not being, you know, if you're not being contested by any other players, then, you know, you have like a huge team um, and a lot of them aren't needed at the moment. And so you end up like spreading them out one or two systems away, but then you've got like people split up and you don't necessarily know, or like what will actually happen is you'll finish all of the plexes in the system that you're in and have to move on to the, like the one next to us but then like leave an eye in the other one. This will allow you to keep track of all of the plexes within one or two jumps of your operation and, and provide better coverage. You'll be able to pick up the... Is, also, if you're like hunting for a specific kind of plex, like if you're in a frigate and you only want to look for novices, you can make sure that you can find the systems that uh, the novices aren't being ran yet. All good things. Hugely good feature. Um, hopefully, Faction Warfare will actually see some love... Uh, by the player base uh, soon. All right, moving on. Incursions, locations, and incursion types. Scout, Vanguard, Assault, HQ will now be shown in the agency. Amount of accumulated Concord LP from collecting incursion sites will now be shown in the agency. Sites shown in the agency will now have the same contextual menu when right-clicked as they do when right-clicked in space. So you can now fleet up to a site, uh, fleet warp to a site, for example. Tooltips explaining the various features in EVE are present throughout the agency to teach players about the mechanics of each. Triglavian invasions are available through the agency. Okay, so uh, I could talk about the agency, um, but really, I mean, you're just going to get your hands on it. Either go to Sissy or you'll see it. Um, it's got most of the content in EVE, like PvE content in one place, in a way that makes a ton more sense than the old agency. And um, I don't know how much more, like, what more I could say about it other than just go check it out. Uh, the one thing I will say is that there is a checkbox that says always open on start. And I heard somebody say, 
oh, why would, you know, I bet this is going to be the most unchecked box ever. Well, I think it's really important for that to be checked by default, which it is, um, because those new players, they're the ones that need to be able to see it. And if you think about it, how many of you guys that are listening to me right now knew that the agency existed? <laughs> I, I guarantee you that it's not 100%. So, um, and that's my audience. That's not just the average person that's uh, just hanging around Eve. So the issue is, is that these tools don't mean anything if, if nobody sees it. So I, I know that, you know, there's this instinct of like a pop-up ad that makes you go, ah, but just if you don't like it, uncheck it. If you, more importantly, if you don't need it, just uncheck it. But realize that the people who do, who do need it need it to pop up by itself. So there you go. It, it could have been a don't show again checkbox. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, um, I could, that would have been more consistent with the UI now that I think about it. But I digress. Other than that, it's a, it's a wonderful change. It is everything that we wanted in the new agency. Uh, everything is all linked together in a really smart way. It's got tons of great information in it. I think it's going to be incredible for uh, player retention and, and um, onboarding. In-client CSTAT, Customer Satisfaction Survey and System Menu. This is kind of silly, but I get it, right? So, like, when you open up the escape menu, which is how some people close the game, um, uh, I guess a lot of people close the game, it, there's going to be a, up, a thumbs up and a thumbs down, and it asks you to rate your experience with EVE Online today. And I, all I'm going to say about this thing is that I really, really, really want to know the results that, that CCP gets out of this. Um, on the one hand, it seems super goofy and the sort of thing that EVE players are going to troll the heck out of. On the other hand, this is exactly the kind of feedback mechanism that actually ends up being extremely effective and proven to be effective in um, in a lot of other areas in IT. So um, I, I, I totally get why they're doing it. I think it's a very interesting decision. And like I said, I just want to know the stats that come out of it. It's going to be great. Um, all right. The new help pointer feature has been added in, uh, and is available in the utilities folder of the Neocom. This feature allows players to share links to different UI elements that will highlight the UI elements with a label and arrow when clicked. It is expected to be especially valuable for veteran players mentioning, mentoring their new friends. More information about the help pointer feature can be found in this dev blog. Yeah. So uh, this is also amazing. They tested it a few months ago. I think it's one of CC Carker's babies and everything she comes up with is just beautiful. So what it is, is you can now hotlink. And if you guys ever did the old uh, tutorial, not the old tutorials, but like the Inception MPE or beyond, you'll know that Aura during the tutorials can point at various things to draw your attention to it with this kind of holographic blue uh, panel that, that says what it is that it's pointing at and it points to it, right? Cool. This gives that power to the players where you can actually, like, it's a drag and drop menu where you can drop it into a chat and it becomes a hot link that will point to that object. Not only is this exception, exceptionally good at teaching new players, this is going to be great for rookie help. This is going to be great for local. This is going to be great for everyone. I'm going to have a notepad with my favorites on there so that, that way I don't have to search for individual icons sometimes. Like, I, you know, this is awesome. It's also 
nice because you can literally just it's it's a list of like everything in the game right or everything that is important in the ui so just in case you know i recommend once this is out scrolling down it and if you don't know what something is click on it i guarantee you i guarantee you that there's going to be at least one person that finds uh project discovery because of this I mean, there's probably going to be some finding it because of it, the new agency, but you know, somebody, somebody's going to be scrolling through the pointers and be like, "What is that?" Click. Oh, all right. So, moving on. War UI improvements. The new War Info tab and the Wars tab of the corporation. Whoa. The new War Info tab in the Wars tab of the corporation window, which explains the war declaration system and shows you the war status of your corporation at a glance. The Kill Reports tab for your corporation has been moved to the Wars tab, uh, for, sorry, from the Wars tab to the Home tab of the corporation window. This works way better written than read out loud. The War History tab of the corporation window under the Wars tab, which displays the previous wars and currently enforced peace periods due to this. Okay, I'm just going to say this. There's a new war improvement panel it gives all of the information about wars if it's relevant to you it's going to be there it looks pretty good um i haven't heard any feedback one way or not way one way or another about it besides my glancing at it and thinking it looked pretty good defect fixes uh address small disintegrators not having uh bonuses applied from wolf ray at c2 wormholes uh interesting address kikimura is not having bonuses applied in wolf ray at c2 wormholes uh, fixed issues preventing hick scrams from prote uh, preventing micro jump field warps. Updated Triglavian teach you ships to have appropriate warp speeds. Fixed an issue where Sister of Eve advanced combat suits were not appearing in the market. Oh yeah, I, I didn't even think about that one. Uh, fixed a rare case where weapons of the same weapon group got loaded with different amounts of charges. Uh, so these are all just little bugs that you probably didn't even know existed. Hopefully didn't know existed and now, now are fixed. Graphics. Fixed cloaking display on the sister, Servant Sisters of Eve Cruiser Stratios. Huh. I wonder if they mean the the ring the inside of the... Or the warp effect inside the ring and how it looks really weird when cloaked. Uh, we'll see. Fixed turret placement of the Angel uh, Cartel Battleship Macarial. This made a lot of people happy. Fixed turret placement of the Triglavian Command Destroyer Draugr. Less people noticed that one. Uh, adjust spotlight on the Kaldari Tactical Destroyer Jackdaw. That I know people had been bothered by. Fix Singularity Storm and Hydean Warrior Skins not behaving correctly at view long view distances. Okay. Corrected ship identifier decals on Ore Industrial Ship Noctis and Ore Industrial Command Ship Porpoise. Fixed a shader issue with the Triglavian Assault Frigate Hydra and the Society of Conscious Thought Cruiser Tiamat. That is super niche. Uh, fixed an edge case error thrown when rapidly switching ships and skins between capital and non-capital hangers. What? Between on and non... Okay. Capital on and non-capital hangers. I don't know, but that sounds really niche as well. Fixed an error that occurred when changing ships and skins at the same time. Huh. I don't even want to know what that error is. Spotlight placement adjusted in the Amar hangar. Cool. Fix an issue that caused four desire explosions to appear too small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every four desire explosion I've ever seen, that's definitely the thought that went through my head. This explosion is too small. It must be a bug they're talking about. All right. 
Uh, watch the next time a Fortizar goes up, it's going to look like a freaking keep star. All right. Fixed geometry on some crystal asteroid. Uh, animations on thunderstorm and lava planets have been toned down. Uh, when docking visual. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Like they look really cool. But if you think about them at, sc at scale, that is some violent movement. Uh, when docking visual cloak effects now run to its completion. Okay. Certain shadows in the character creation creator now update more accurately when changing apparel. Corrected an issue in which releasing the mouse button would not end sculpting mode when sculpting a character. It's interesting that they're doing bug fixes on the character creator. Uh, applying gray eyeliner now achieves its intended tone. Fixed character customization failure when character creation has been started and not completed in the same session. Lipstick now applies consistently over facial augmentations that change the color of the lip. Actually, now I know why. Updated the heatsink mutaplasmids to use correct icons. Uh, probably because of all of the new facial stuff that they've been doing. Um, the modifications that they've been giving away, like for the party or the birthday and other events, uh, has led them to, to circle back on certain things and, and fix it in the character creator. I, I bet that's what it was. All right, uh, localization. Remove tactical logistics reconfiguration from carrier's mastery requirements. Okay. Uh, technical, fixed a a physics desync issue related to approaching orbiting ships as they ac actively cloak, or as they activate cloak. Uh, anything that fixes a desync issue is incredibly useful to everyone in EVE. Fixed a client vulnerability, which could lead to client freezes. Also good. Text and descriptions. Corrected the pronouns of an error message received when attempting to rejoin a corporation at war. Various text, punctuation, and grammar fixes in many different places. Fixed a variety of small text issues in item descriptions and missions. User interface. Updated the notifications for CEOs when they applied to the corporations to make sure the instructions are up to date. Fixed inconsistencies with dragging character links into the member li uh, list out of chat channel. This will now always try to invite characters to the chat channel if possible, no matter when the, where the link was coming from and if the link was dropped into empty space or on top of, the, uh, of another character. This is actually, I know that seems really conf somewhat confusing, but um, basically what that means is that I believe what that is, is like you can drag people out of chat and into a fleet menu but uh, or into a fleet and get an invite. I'm pretty sure that's what it's talking about. Um, and there's inconsistency as to when it would work and when it wouldn't work. And due to the fact that errors are sometimes very subtle in EVE, uh, people wouldn't notice and then there'd be confusion as to why certain people didn't get invited or, you know, whatever. Hyphens are valid characters for the purposes of searching solar system names. We did it, Reddit. Yay! This is actually a really interesting um, situation. Um, I remember back a, a long time, you know, for as long as I can remember, hyphens were not searchable. So when suddenly everybody started freaking out that they weren't searchable, I was really confused. So I guess apparently they became searchable at one point, And then when they changed everything over to the to the universal search, they fixed the bug that caused it to be searchable. And so everybody freaked out. And then CCP responded with, well, but we no, we, we fixed the bug. It's not a bug. We fixed the bug. And then everybody got really upset and Reddit, you know, started to cry enough. And now I guess CCP has said, we hear you, which is pretty cool. War declarations fixed a problem with the display of expired war ally contracts. 
fix the loophole. Fix the loophole with a re-declaring war where former war allies were suddenly dropped out of the war. It is no longer possible to send an ally request for war, which is not opened up for allies, and several other small fixes to the war declarations. That is all of the patch notes for... Uh, that is all of the patch notes for EVE Online's Invasion Chapter 1, which is the expansion that is coming next Tuesday, May 28th. There is one glaring thing that is missing from these patch notes, which is anything about the invasion itself, outside of the fact that it is in HiSec. CCP has gone through extraordinary lengths to ensure that everything about this event is as secret as possible. Um, I give them lots of credit for doing a great job with uh, all of the live event that's been leading up to this. If you guys haven't known, the lore and like the just the activity in the game when it comes to making all of this stuff play out has been incredibly exciting. Um, and CCP, in my opinion, has done a, an incredible job setting up this expansion. So let's hope that they land this one and then we can move on to chapter two and get even more amazing Eve content. Well, until next time, uh, thank you guys very much. This has been Ashtarothi. Uh, before I leave, I'd like to thank, as always, Matterall for being my producer and editor and actually listening to this and hopefully taking out all of my mistakes. And uh, also special thanks to Talking in Stations, my, my bros who take good care of me and now basically do podcasts and, and streams every day almost, at least every day that matters. So vote Matterall and Steve Ronikin for CSM, and I'll see you in space.